You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Psalm chapter 6. We are working our way through the book of Psalms. And before we read, I just want to remind you uh, as to what the Psalms are all about. Hey, Rick. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, Rick. Uh, what the Psalms are um, all um, about. And there's two summary statements found there in your notes. The first comes from Dr. Kendall Easley. He writes, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. So the Psalms remind us that whatever we're going through in life, the hills or the valleys, God is worthy of our trust and He's worthy of our worship. So uh, that theme uh, we see really in every Psalm. But then John Piper gives us a statement that reminds us that the book of Psalms is in actuality a collection of Hebrew hymns. This is a hymn book. And he writes, The Psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And so God gives um, people gifts in writing beautiful words and putting them together in a way that capture our hearts and capture our minds. And God gave the writers of the Psalms, tonight's Psalm was written by David, uh, that gift. And then he also uh, inspired them by the Holy Spirit. So they were writing down his very words for us to consider. And so these Psalms connect with us at an emotional level, which again is probably why most people would say they love... I've never heard a Christian say, I just, I just don't like the Psalms. I just, they just don't speak to me. I just prefer not to read those. I've never heard some, anyone say that. Uh, and I've heard people speak of the Psalms as always in, in, in a positive uh, way. So, that brings us to Psalm 6. Let's read it, and then we will uh, just lift from the, the text some different thoughts, and then we'll have a time of church conference just to update you on what's going on in the life of the church, and then we'll pray, and we'll be through. So notice there, in the small letters before verse 1, the Bible says, To the choir master with stringed instruments. Just a reminder, this is meant to be uh, used in a uh, musical setting accompanied by stringed instruments. According to the Shimoneth, there's some scholarly... uh, Debate or not debate, discussion over what Shimoneth means. And the, the reality is we don't really know exactly what it means. as some sort of musical term, uh, again, indicating that this is a song. And then we see that it is written by David himself, King David, the one that the Bible calls, or God called, a man after my own heart. So look what it says there in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. 
For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Those are three very profound statements. And then he writes, All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and and be put to shame in a moment. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us in these moments by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us to understand your truth and to, uh, Lord, have the inclination to respond to your truth. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of trouble caused by others. You ever, you ever find yourself in trouble and it's other people's fault? Raise your hand if you've ever found that. Yeah, yeah, a lot, all the time, right? It's other people's fault. And, that, and, that, and that's David's kind of uh, his MO throughout his life that he finds himself surrounded by trouble and, and people are opposed to him for various reasons. But he finds himself looking around at the enemies that surround him. Uh, but sometimes we find ourselves in trouble of our own making. Anyone on that one? Anyone you ever found yourself in trouble and you brought it on yourself? Don says no, but everybody else says yes. Uh, trouble of our own making. Or sometimes it's both. Sometimes you find yourself in trouble of your own making and you're surrounded by trouble that others bring. That's the situation here in Psalm chapter 6. And I want, you to, I want to show you this as we look at David's desire here to get right with God. He wants to have, be rightly related in fellowship with God. But he also wants God's help with the trouble that is surrounding him. There, there is connection here. So I want you to notice four, uh, four headings in this text. First of all, notice David's discipline. David's discipline. There in verse 1 he says, and we notice something different here. He's not just talking about his enemies. He says, Rebuke me not, O Lord, in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. David connects something that he's going through to the idea of God's discipline on his life. Fast forward down to verse 6. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Uh, My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So he's experiencing hardship here that that seems to indicate physical danger from his enemies. It's showing up in emotional distress. And he's experiencing this hardship. But when you go back to verse 1, it seems like Dave is making connection that some of what I'm going through is my fault. Some of this is God's discipline for me. So it's interesting that David looks around at his enemies and his circumstances, but then he looks within. And he realizes there's something here in his own life that needs to be addressed. In fact, this psalm is often grouped with a group of psalms called the penitential psalms. Uh, psalms where the writer is, is in a penitent, repentant frame of mind 
desiring to get right with God. Other penitential psalms are uh, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51. That's a well-known psalm uh, when David repents after his uh, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of her husband Uriah. Psalm 102, Psalm 130, Psalm 143. Those are all called penitential psalms. And this is one of those psalms according to how uh, some people group uh, the chapters. And so what do we see here in this psalm? We see that David understands part of what he's going through as the discipline of God. Now let's talk about God's discipline for a moment because there's some misunderstanding here. We need to understand what God's discipline is all about for his children. If you look there in your notes, God's discipline of his children is a reflection of his grace. God's discipline of his children is a reflection of his grace. And notice what he says there in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. And so here's what David is saying. Lord, I don't want to deal with you on the basis of your anger and wrath. Because who can stand before your anger and your wrath? David understands, I certainly can't stand before your anger and your wrath. I need grace. I need you to show me mercy. I need you to show me compassion. I need you to, to help me in the midst of what I am going through. And so he's saying, God, as I'm dealing with what I believe is discipline from your hand, I, I, I want to look at that discipline through the lens of grace. In other words, when you're going through something that is God's discipline, it's not because God... Is, uh, is just trying to put you in your place. God disciplines you as a reflection of his care for you. And it's always a reflection of his grace. Just like when good parents discipline their children. They're not just trying to take away their fun, right? Good parents discipline their children to show them that when they get off the right path, it's dangerous and destructive. And they need, to stay on, uh, they need to stay on the right path. And discipline helps them to understand that. And so discipline, uh, when it comes to God, is a reflection of His grace. And the next thought in relation to that is this. God's discipline of His children has a purpose. It always has a purpose. Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. In other words, Lord, you're, you're rebuking or disciplining me as a reflection of grace, not anger or wrath, but you're doing this for a reason. You want to do something specific in my life. Now, hold your place. I want to show you a little bit more detailed passage describing God's discipline over in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. So turn there with me. Let me show you this passage. Hebrews 12, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by Him. Now look in verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son. So the discipline 
is a reflection of the father-child relationship. Chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Now the writer of Hebrews concedes something here in the next verse. Look what he says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. It's no fun, the writer of Hebrews says. But later, what happens? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the writer of Hebrews says that discipline is a reflection of God's love and concern for his children. and It has a purpose. It's meant to bring about something in their lives. God's discipline always has a purpose. Now, some might say, well, how do I know if something I'm going through is just the result of living in a sin-cursed world? A lot of the trouble we deal with is just the fact we live in a fallen world, right? And sometimes we find ourselves in trouble, and, it's, and honestly, it's just other people's fault. We're mistreated, uh, by other people, we're treated unjustly, and it's other people's fault that we're going through the hard time. But there are other times that we encounter hardship, and it is actually God trying to get our attention. It is God's discipline. So how do we, how do we discern that? Here's my experience, and I think this ties into what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in uh, John chapter 16. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. I believe that if God is allowing something or causing something hard in your life to discipline you or get your attention, listen, it will be accompanied by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you'll feel the conviction. You'll know that God wants you to deal with this issue in your life. You've heard me say this before, but one of the ways I know I'm a Christian is I can't get away with anything. Because the Holy Spirit in me convicts me of my sin when I sin. And when that conviction is accompanied by something that's hard, painful, unpleasant, which is God's discipline, we'll put two and two together and say, this is God trying to get my attention. This, this is God trying to get me off the wrong path onto the right path. Uh, this is God graciously intersecting my life like a good father graciously intersects his children's lives to get their attention. And so God's discipline always has a purpose. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. When God disciplines us, we can despise it. We can resist it. We can collapse under it and quit. Or... Accept it and submit. What God is seeking is submission. He wants us to come to the place in our spiritual journey where we're saying, Okay, God, I hear you loud and clear. What do you want to show me? What do you want to do in my life? How are you going to use this to change me? I, I submit to what you are doing in my 
life. Submission, that's what he's looking for. That's why he brings about discipline. And here's the good news. Listen, here's the good news for, the ch- for children of God. God's discipline is a reflection of grace. It, it always has a purpose. But third, God's discipline of his children has an ending. It has an ending. Uh, look back in chapter 6, verse 3. David says, my soul also is greatly troubled. He's experiencing physical, uh, physical issues because he mentions his bones are troubled. His soul is troubled. He's crying in verse 6. He's emotionally troubled. I mean, he, he's really hurting, going through some tough stuff. And there in verse 3 he says, but you, O Lord, how long? How long? How long is this going to go on? How, how long is this going to last have you ever, don't raise your hand, but have you ever gone through something you said to the Lord, how long? How long? I mean, it's a real, honest, transparent question that David asks. In fact, the question, how long, is asked at least 16 times in the book of Psalms. Chapter 6, chapter 13, chapter 35, chapter 62, chapter 74, chapter 79, chapter 80, chapter 82, chapter 89, chapter 90, chapter 94. We see the question show up. How long? I'm hurting. It's difficult. I'm troubled. How long? And in the context of Psalm 6, how long will this discipline last? That's what he's asking. And by asking that question... David is implying, I know there is an end. I know this is coming to an end because your discipline is, 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 is seen through the, the lens of grace. God's discipline of his children has an ending. Because remember, Hebrews 12, God's just not trying to get you, right? He's not trying to just put you in your place. God wants to change you and do something in your life. So there's... Number one, David's discipline. But second in this psalm, we see David's prayer. David's prayer. I was thinking about this today when I was putting my notes together. And I don't know if you've you've sensed this as we've walked through these psalms, if you've been through several of these psalm studies thus far. uh, It's almost like the study of the psalms is like a prayer seminar, isn't it? There's so much information here just that helps us to learn how to pray and what prayer is all about. And that's true here in... Uh, chapter 6. I want to show you uh, David's prayer. It's a personal prayer because notice there in the first four verses David uses not the generic name for God. He uses the divine name of God, the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush, the name Yahweh. He says there in verse 1, O Lord, whenever whenever you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the divine name of God. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Verse 2, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, how long? Verse 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life. So notice here that David is talking to God uh, and he has a covenant relationship with him. He belongs to him. This is the covenant name of God. He has a relationship with his God. So David's prayer is personal. And he knows in the midst of all that he's going through, he needs to call out to God. James Montgomery Boyce says it like this. In times of victory, call upon God. Praise Him. In times of defeat, call upon God. Ask for help. 
In times of temptation, call upon God. Seek deliverance. In the dark night of the soul, call upon God. Request light. God is our pathway through the darkness. He is our sure hope in life and in death. He is our hope even when we are unaware of His presence. And so he's saying when you find yourself in a situation like this, you're perplexed, you're hurting, you, you're, you're convicted, you're surrounded, call to God. That's what David does. It's very instructive. And David basically just prays for two things. Number one, heal me. Look in verse 2. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Scholars believe that he's probably saying here that he's feeling physical effects as a result of God's discipline in his life. That's what he's saying. Physical effects as a result of God's discipline in his life. Now let's just be very clear. Physical malady is not always the result of God's discipline. Sometimes we experience physical trouble just because we live in a fallen world, right? We live in fallen, uh, fallen world with decaying bodies. That's just the reality of, of, of what we experience. But sometimes God can't even use physical malady to get our attention. And again, if that happens, I believe it will be accompanied by the convicting clarity of the Holy Spirit, showing you there's an issue in your life that needs to be addressed. But he says, heal me. In other words, he's saying, Lord, would you get me through this, this, this discipline that I am encountering? And then he says, deliver me, because remember, he's got enemies surrounding him. Look in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Save me because you love me. That's what he's saying there. Would you deliver me from this, this situation in life that I find myself in? And so we see David's discipline and we see David's prayer, but third... We see David's desire. And this is, the, this is the, the part of the psalm that really jumped off the page to me. And I think really requires our careful attention and consideration. Look in verse 4. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Now look in verse 5. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, which is the, the Hebrew phrase for the place of the dead... Basically says the grave. In Sheol, who will give you praise? In effect, what David is saying in verse 5 is this. Give me more life that I might give you more praise. And he's just using good old-fashioned logic here. If I die and I go to the grave, that's one less voice praising you. And I want to have more life, have more days to give you the praise and the honor that you are so worthy to receive. Now I wonder, I wonder if you and I need to pick up on that perspective. A lot of times we, we talk about healing and longevity and and more life, and, and we think in terms of, of good things. You know, I want to I be around for my family, and I, I want to experience this, and I've got a bucket list. And, and we think of those kind of, those kind of categories of why we want God to prolong our life. And, and those are all good things. Those are all uh, part of just being human. But I wonder if we ever say to the Lord, Lord, if you give me more days, I'll give you more praise. I, I'd like more time so I can give you the worship that you deserve. It's like Paul said over in Philippians 1, verse 21. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, I go to heaven. That's better than here, right? Would you all agree heaven's better than here? 
So to die is gain, but to live is Christ. Every day you give me to live, it's another day to walk with you and talk with you and praise you and, and, and make much of you, Jesus. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And I think David's saying something very similar here. I'm asking you for more life. I'm asking for your deliverance. I'm asking you to save me so I can have more days to praise you. That is David's desire. David's ultimate desire was to glorify God with his life. You remember old Hezekiah? Hezekiah asked for more time. He just wanted more time. Just, he just wanted more time just to be a king and experience life. And God gave him 15 more years. And instead of pursuing the Lord, he just got lazy and proud and got in all kinds of trouble at the end of his reign because of his pride. And really his legacy was tarnished in those 15 years. He was a good king. In those last 15 years, his legacy was tarnished. What if we started saying to the Lord, Lord, we ask you for physical strength. We ask you for more days. There's some practical reasons we're asking that. But most of all, God, would you, if you give us more time on this earth, it's, it's going to be, you're going to hear from my voice and you're going to hear from my heart and I'm going to praise your great name. That's David's desire. And then fourth and last, we see David's confidence. David's confidence. Look in verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. There's confidence here. Prayer fuels confident faith. And as he prays and talks to God, you can feel his faith welling up and getting stronger. Let me show you three things David is confident about. Confident about. He says, uh, first of all, David is confident that the Lord knows his grief. The Lord knows his grief. Now look what it says back in verse 6. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So David here is, is, is going through what some would call the dark night of the soul. He is down and despondent and, and he's wetting his pillow with tears. Uh, but notice there, he says in verse 8, The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. God knows what I'm experiencing God knows what I'm feeling. God knows why I'm grieving, which is a really remarkable thought. And it made me think about Exodus 3. Remember when God appeared to Moses at a bush that was burning but was not consumed? Remember that story? Moses drew near to check it out. The Lord said, take off your feet for you're on holy ground. He says to Moses, my people are in Egyptian bondage and slavery and I've got a message for you to give them. And the message begins like this. Moses, I want you to go to the Jews, go to the Israelites, go to the Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham. And I want you to tell them that I've seen their affliction and I've heard their cries. Isn't that powerful? That's how the message begins. Go to them and say, God has seen, God has heard, he knows what you're going through. It reminds me of Psalm 56 verse 8 where the psalmist says you've captured my tears in a bottle think about that God knows what's behind every tear that streams down your 
cheek. That's how personally invested God is in your life. Think about that. And David has that confidence. The Lord, the Lord knows my grief. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. And if you don't like Charles Spurgeon, you won't like hearing me preach because I quote him a lot. But Charles Spurgeon said, Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? Number two, David is confident that the Lord has heard his prayers. Look in verse 9. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord has heard my plea. David's confident. He's my God. I know him as Yahweh, covenant God. I've entered into a relationship with him. And I've prayed, and I know that he inclines his ear. He turns his ear to hear his children when they pray. The Lord has heard his prayers. I wonder if we had confidence in that truth right there, if it wouldn't change our prayer lives. The Lord actually hears us when we pray. He's not too busy running the universe to hear what's going on in your corner of the universe. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the tears that are streaming down your cheek. And He hears you when you Pray. By the way, that's what the cross is all about. Remember when Jesus breathed his last, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom? That was God saying, you have access to God now. Through the one mediator, the, the high priest Jesus Christ, he shed his blood to make a way. Now you can go into his presence anytime and be heard. The Lord has heard his prayers. But then David is confident that the Lord will answer his prayers. Look in verse 9. The Lord has heard my plea, and then he says, the Lord accepts my prayer. That's a level of confidence, right? All my enemies, he's going to answer my prayer. Look what he says. All my enemies shall be ashamed, greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So I've asked God for help. God's going to help. God's going to put an end to these enemies that are coming against me. David was confident that the Lord would answer his prayers. One of my... Preaching heroes is Adrian Rogers. He was a longtime pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. And um, I remember hearing him preach one time, and he said he was in his study one day, one afternoon, and he said he had the most astounding thought. He said it just stopped him in his tracks. He said, I was overcome by this thought. There in my study. I couldn't get over it. And he said to the congregation, do you want to hear what it is? Everybody's like, well, yeah. Gives this profound insight. And Dr. Rogers said, well, it's not going to, he said, it's not going to really uh, floor you like you think it's going to. But, but on that day in my study, I had this thought and it transformed my life. And here's the thought that he had. God answers prayer. Now, we all know that. We all say amen to God answers prayer, right? We know that's the right answer in Sunday school. Does God answer prayer? Yes. <laughs> Next question. 
But what Adrian Rogers was saying was, in that moment, in his study, that thought captured his heart and he really believed it. He really believed it. Not just the Sunday school view of prayer. He really believed that God answered prayer. And he said that that revolutionized and transformed the way that he prayed. So my question is this. This is to be answered not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart. Do you really believe, do you really believe that God answers prayer? David had that confidence. David was in a mess. Some of it caused by his own decisions. God was getting his attention. Some of it caused by just evil people surrounding him. David looks around and says, I'm in a mess. He looks within and says, I'm in a mess or I am a mess. (laughs) But God, you're getting my attention because of your grace. And I'm coming to you to say, heal me, deliver me. And I believe, God, that you will answer that prayer. Astounding confidence that David shows in Psalm 6. Father, thank you for what you're teaching us about prayer. Thank you for what you're teaching us about dealing with the day-in, day-out realities of life. Thank you for what you're teaching us about how you are a good God, a God of steadfast, unfailing love, a God of mercy and grace, a God who knows what we're going through. And you love us so much that you don't leave us alone, God. You're constantly working in our lives. And you've promised, Lord, you've promised to answer our prayers. May that thought tonight revolutionize the prayers of your people. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.